Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Welcome back, my friends, to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Daniel DiPiazza, back again, and I just want to thank you for being here. You know, uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast, and this is still among the first episodes that we are, you know, into this journey together, this new show, and I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. Now, today's episode is pretty cool because it's all about applying the jujitsu mindset to life. If you followed me on social media or my emails, you know that I'm a lifelong martial artist and jujitsu is one of my, my, my biggest loves. But before we get into this very important episode, I want to just thank, I want to thank myself, just like Snoop Dogg did when he got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I want to thank myself for sponsoring myself for this show. That's right. This show is sponsored by Alpha Mentorship. You know, Alpha Mentorship is all about improving yourself and improving your business as a result. And in that vein, we know that this new wave of technology and this new wave of entrepreneurship is all about sovereignty. That comes down to financial sovereignty in the crypto space. It comes down to personal sovereignty when it comes to self-defense, home defense, emergency medical care. And it also comes down to spiritual and psychological sovereignty when it comes to things like meditation, breath work, you know, traditional therapy, and even plant medicine. And these are all things I talk about on my website. So make sure you go Alpha Mentorship. Dot com, especially if you want to download my new guide, Surfing the New Wave. This is a 26-page guide all on how to get involved in the crypto space, and all the basics, all the fundamentals. And it's a continually updated guide. It's actually a Google Doc. When you give your email address and I send that to you, you can bookmark that doc and I'm continuously updating that doc with all the newest info. And on alphamentorship.com, you can read more about NWP. What's that? That's the New Wave Protocol, which is my small group program for people who want to basically level themselves up financially, personally, and spiritually. So make sure you check that out on alphamentorship.com. Now, let's get into the show because guess what? The water is warm. The tide is rising. It's time to surf this wave. Okay, welcome back, my friends. We are here on another episode. And, you know, today is really something near and dear to my heart. I've been thinking about how I can bridge this gap. You know, I talk a lot on my social feed about my experience in martial arts and why it's so important to me. And, you know, for me, I think that um, it's been so important to hear other people's experiences in the martial arts to, cons- to help me uh, and encourage me to continue my journey. And, uh, you know, whether you're just starting your journey, you haven't even started yet, or you're well on your way, I want this to be a podcast of reflection because guess what? The beautiful thing about martial arts is that it's not just about fighting. In fact, it's mostly not about fighting. It's about how you're living. It's a mirror for yourself. And it's a wonderful practice that allows you to express full creativity and full self-discovery in motion. And it gives you some 
fast, fantastic and fascinating new skill sets. And, uh, you know, jujitsu has always been my method of choice for this wonderful exploration of myself creatively and physically. And so I wanted to give you some background on this so you can understand my journey and you can distill or I can help to do you to distill some of these lessons I've learned along the way. So I took some time to think about my journey and I created, you know, 10 distilled lessons that I've learned from my journey through jujitsu as a martial artist over the past five or six years, you know, really as I've been distinctly uh, going at this art and really working to create, uh, you know, new skills for myself to hone my craft. So let's just get into it. You know, first of all, I have been, a, I guess you would call it a lifelong martial artist, but really starting off as a kid. And, you know, when I was uh, in elementary school, I tried different things, you know, uh, I think that most kids in America at some point have tried a couple classes of karate. You know, for me, I spent a few years doing Korean martial arts in the beginning. So there's something called Tang Soo Do, which is, I think, similar to Taekwondo, you know, lots of kicking. And, uh, you know, and look, you know, in America, we have so many McDojos. You can go up the street and find, you know, find a dojo up the street that will teach you some basic karate. And we're not even sure if it's authentic karate anymore. And they'll give you a black belt in three years and send you on your way because they want you to keep coming. And I went through that experience as well. You know, I started off doing Tang Soo Do when I was, oh, I had to have been, let's see if I was in Michigan. This is before I moved to Florida. So anywhere between five and seven years old, you know, doing martial arts. So getting some experience in that and just really understanding what it was like to, you know, to go to a class and to learn from an instructor. And, you know, in, in a lot of these Korean martial arts, there are katas where it's like a series of drills or solo practices where you're simulating fighting an opponent and you're kind of just like punching the air, blocking, kicking. And it's meant to show a different form. They even call them forms. A lot of martial arts have this. It's, you know, it's basically just, um, it's almost like an algorithm if you want to get technical with it. And so I, I did a lot of that as a kid and I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I can remember, you know, doing the things where you're breaking boards and I don't know what belt did I get up to in those, in, in that or maybe, I don't know, yellow belt or whatever comes up to yellow belt. You know, it's not, a you know, I didn't get very deep into it, but I enjoyed it a lot. And it made me understand that martial arts was fun and it could be uh, something that would enrich me. And, you know, when I got to Florida, I moved to Florida when I was about eight years old. That's when I picked up the Japanese martial arts. And the first place I studied in Florida was a place called the Quest Center. And the Quest Center teaches a, an adapted form of ninjutsu. That's right. An adapted form of, well, what the ninjas used to use, which I know sounds funny and maybe it sounds like a McDojo, but actually it's a, it's a real art. It's called Toshindo. It's the adapted form. Uh, and the, the originator of this martial art is a man named Stephen K. Hayes. Stephen K. Hayes was the first really Westerner, the first American to bring this art to you know this side of the world. And um, I believe, uh, I believe the grandmaster that he worked under was, his last name was Hatsumi. Let me type this in, Hatsumi. Masaki Hatsumi. Masaki Hatsumi was essentially one of the world's, you know, last ninjas. <laughs> you know, one of the last of the lineage of, uh, of, of great practitioners from the from the tree of ninjutsu. And I mean, he's, he's the real deal, you know? And so Stephen K. Hayes trained under him and, uh, and was given the, the honor of taking this art to the West. And when he, 
started his uh, his chain of centers. They're called the Quest Centers. And I trained in Tampa, Florida under um, uh, Mark Russo, who, you know, was a great guy. Um, he was obviously a, a lifelong martial artist. He's also, a, you know, a fantastic athlete. From an early age, I learned a lot of skills from that martial art, which I'm still applying today. You know, the first is just the idea of just showing up repetitions, you know, and I got to understand how you would not only choreograph a fight, uh, but how you would how you would react to situations that maybe you weren't expecting. And I trained, oh man, I trained this from, I'm thinking anywhere from year eight to year 12, something like that. Once I got into football, it kind of went by the wayside because I wanted to do something that was a little bit more physical. I think the thing that I never really liked about um, about about Toshin Do, which I really like the instructors, uh, I like the center, uh, I like the feel of the academy. But I think I was going through that stage where I was like between eleven and thirteen, that uncomfortable puberty stage, and I felt like I was too old to train with the kids, but too young to train with the adults, and I kind of felt stuck in the middle. And um, I just hadn't developed the discipline yet that it took to really stick with it. Although I did train a lot and I worked my way up through to maybe Red Belt in that system, which is which is just under, which is, which is I think the third system of belts. They had a series of belts where it would be like white belt and then it was like yellow belt. Then they had like a, uh, I think a yellow and black belt. And then it was like blue belt. Or, and then it was like, I think it was like blue, white, blue belt, then blue, black. And then there was a red belt system, and then I think it went green, and then and then it was brown, and then black. And I even remember they had an interesting little system where they would basically have they had like a junior black belt system, and and essentially, you know, when you signed up for this program, you were saying I'm committing to getting this black belt, and they would they would basically print your black belt out early with like your name on it, and they would hang it up in the like right in the rafters in the right right by the front of the of the center where everyone could see it and um, I actually thought that was pretty beautiful it's kind of interesting you know like they would put your name on it like I mean it was ready for you to, to take and to have and um, I always thought it was uh, I don't know I always thought that it, was, it was really encouraging you know I think that having that visual reminder is so important and um, I yeah I really like training there and you know but I, I kind of fell off. And, um, and I, but I learned a lot of interesting technical skills there and my body learned how to move in, in new ways. And even, you know, before I, you know, knew that I was going to be so into jujitsu, I learned a lot of ground fighting stuff at the quest center that I come to now, you know, rely on. Uh, one thing that I, I maybe didn't like about that training, although I understood why they did it was that when we would have tests and we would have specific tests around belts, you know, the, the tests were, were rather choreographed. And I think looking back on it, it was more about showing what we could do and less about reacting to a real scenario. But we would choreograph our tests first and plan them out. And, you know, there would be specific moves that we were demonstrating in front of a crowd. And I think all that's good. Um, but I think that it doesn't really demonstrate true confidence in the technique if you're if you know what's coming and you know of course it's the instructor's job to tell you know if a student is ready to progress but i think that in that system uh there wasn't a lot of emphasis on live fighting you know which it's not a competition art so that makes sense but i've come to find over the years that having live sparring is such 
an important practice because at the very least, it develops timing. Even if you are confident in your abilities, if you don't train with someone in a live or a close to live scenario, your timing's just off. You might know the move, but your brain is not firing at the same speed that it would need to fire in an actual situation. So I think that was one of the things that, you know, maybe subconsciously I realized that I was kind of training more for a, more for show than for, for function. And that kind of bothered me, although I really did like training there. And so, you know, I kind of took that experience and I kind of tucked it away. And I, I think I stopped training around, around 13 there and I got interested in football. And after football, I got interested in bodybuilding. And I kind of just like left that on the, on the, um, the shelf. Although I can remember, uh, right around college, I remember calling them back up and saying, can you take me back? I think this was back in, you know, maybe mid to late high school. Can you take me back? I really wanted to get back into it again. But it wasn't until 2009 that I actually was introduced to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is, you know, um, just become, it's become the love of my life, honestly. Um, so, just a quick uh, background, you know, jiu-jitsu is specifically Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, we're going to make a distinction here, although the jiu-jitsu practice in the United States is all Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's, that's what it is. But jiu-jitsu is, a, is, tra- is, is traditionally primarily a ground fighting art, meaning grappling. And it involves, um, it does involve some strikes, but it also, but it's primarily about closing the distance between you and an opponent and then taking the fight to the ground, and then using various forms of chokes, joint locks, pins, manipulations, and different ways to control the fight on the ground. Although it is a ground fighting art, it is a complete martial art. As a self-defense art, it is a complete martial art because it does involve strikes. It does involve you know stuff on, on your feet, but it's primarily used as a way to create create leverage from someone on the ground. And I mean, if you think about it, like you feel very confident on your feet, but most fights go to the ground. And this this system pretty much focuses on that element of it. And it's extremely complex and technical. And it's something where you can learn this for years and still feel like you don't know anything. And that's both frustrating and it's, uh, you know, it's incredible. You know, I first really got introduced, introduced to this properly in 2009. And it's because I was cast in a movie. At that time, I was, oh man, I must have been, I would have been 20, something about like 20, right around there. I was just beginning to sharpen my skills as an actor. You know, uh, that the year before, I'd come back from studying abroad in Greece and I committed myself to learning the craft of acting because I wanted to, I wanted to get into the film. And um, one of my first roles, which shout out to the Guzo brothers who uh, were my my first big break or one of my first big breaks and these producers in Tampa that really put me on and they introduced me to who would become my first teacher in Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu and his name is Hernando Tavares uh, he was based out of Vero Beach in Florida which is right on the you know the east coast of Florida um, I think right by Cocoa Beach at the time I didn't have any reference for whether that whether he was a big deal or not but he is. He he is a big deal. In fact, Hernando is one of the, you know, the OGs of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu being, you know, one of the, you know, the major uh, forces for bringing it to 
the U.S. and one of the most successful jiu-jitsu champions. You know, he is, I think at this point, fifth or a sixth degree black belt. Uh, and they don't hand these things out lightly. He's been training for 40 years now or more, probably about 40, 45 years now he's been training, which is just, you know, it's next level. And so he was my first instructor. He taught me the basics of jiu-jitsu because I was choreographing a fight scene. And to choreograph the scene, I had to know actual moves. I had to know how to move like a fighter, how to respond like a fighter, um, you know, all the different types of, or at least many of the different types of submissions because we were filming a movie and it needed to look realistic. Uh, we were filming it in partnership with a, with a fight club called XFC, which is a, you know, like a, um, like an under company of the UFC. And, um, you know, it, it had to look like a convincing, it had to be a real fight, you know, and, and actually Hernando was my opponent in the movie. So he was training me and we were acting together. And so I just didn't realize that at the time it was going to kick off my love for jujitsu. And I remember, you know, I would, I would drive there every day after work. I was working at UPS at the time and I would drive from UPS to Vero Beach, which, you know, looking back on that, they really should have gotten me someone who was a little bit closer to Tampa because Vero Beach is about three hours away. And I would drive three hours. I would get in one session with him and we would train and uh, it would be a private session. I'd be the only one in there. He'd teach me. And there, there was one uh, other woman I would train with. Uh, her name was Jillian. And um, she was a blue belt at the time, which seemed to me like a god. I think maybe she was a white belt and she was just about to turn blue. And um, and there was another guy in there named Will. And, you know, he seemed like a scary monster to me. Uh, sweet guy, though. And he, they just taught me all the moves. They taught me not all the moves, but just the ones that my, my little brain could handle. And I trained for about two months there, two or three months before we ended up shooting that film in 2009. And, you know, it was actually a really great film. It was done so well, and it wouldn't have been possible without Hernando. And really, besides the choreography and actual film itself, which you can look up on YouTube if you want, it's not really about the film. It's about the fact that it sparked something in me. And it, like, really made me realize, oh, this is the one that I like doing. This is, this is the good one. You know, I really, really enjoy this. And there's just something about the way the body moves in jujitsu that really, really piqued my interest. And that was 2009. Okay. So let's stick up with the timeline here. So, you know, life was going by again, 2009 passes. And um, I was in Tampa by 2010. I was in Atlanta. You know, I was just still continuing with my life. I was definitely interested in fighting. I thought maybe I might even get into boxing at the time. You know, jujitsu had stuck out to me, but I thought, well, I, I just want to taste things. I want to taste the world, you know? Um, so I started to just get some ideas of training in different uh, disciplines. And um, and I, in Atlanta, started training with another school named the Francis Fong Academy. And what I liked about Francis Fong is they taught a lot of different disciplines. I was interested in them because they specialized in JKD, which is uh, Bruce Lee's fighting art, you know, and, and JKD itself isn't really an art, it's a philosophy, um, but it's a combination of different types of fighting styles designed to, you know, as Bruce would say, uh, absorb what's useful, discard what isn't, you know, adapt to what's uniquely yours. And, you know, so there's striking, there's grappling, there's, you know, kicks and punches and all these different types of, you know, it's based, I think its core is Kung Fu, 
uh, but it has Western boxing. It has some jujitsu, some, you know, wrestling, all this different stuff in it. And so that, you know, it just, it was really fun for me to get that experience. One thing I learned through this whole process is that the best thing for me to do is to find a school that's close to me. If it's very far away, I'm not going to show up a lot, you know, and I always go through this battle in my head of really wanting to train as much as possible when I'm really into a martial art. And I've learned that I can't make myself travel too far to do it. Otherwise, I'm not going to be consistent. And um, I did train at Francis Fong's for for a good bit of time. Uh, I, they had an interdisciplinary approach there. So I would train JKD on some days. Um, I would train um, uh, Wing Chun, which is Kung Fu, on other days. And uh, I would train uh, Kali and Salat, which is like Filipino martial arts. And they have like these sticks that they use. And guess what? Lo and behold, they had a jiu-jitsu class. Again, it stuck out to me. So 2010 and 11, I was training jiu-jitsu. And at that time... At that class, at that school, Francis Fong was really the the head guy, and he was mostly uh, JKD and Kung Fu. He's a great guy too, you know, a beautiful man, really really knowledgeable. I mean, he's a grandmaster, you know, really really smart guy. And um, and they had it one jujitsu class who was taught by a purple belt. I don't know his name, uh, but it was taught by purple belt. Purple belts are like, you know, that's like the first advanced belt. And so to see someone who was a purple belt teaching was like, wow. You know, obviously I'd already met Hernando, but I was still like, you know, just awed by people who had skill in this, in this art. And I just even remember, I remember training jujitsu, you know, at the school and thinking, yeah, this is the one, this is the one, like for whatever reason, you know, I trained in, uh, you know, at this point, Tang Soo Do and Toshin Do and, and, you know, Kali and Salat and uh, Jeet Kune Do and, and Wing Chun and all these different martial arts. And um, yeah, it just stood out to me, like. Like jujitsu is just, it's just so fun. Uh, it's, it's so exhausting, you know, too. It's like really, uh, it's the best workout, you know, in any martial art that you're actually doing for real is a great workout, but jujitsu is like a whole other level, especially when you're actively sparring with people. And, and in jujitsu, you know, we call sparring rolling. And the cool thing about it is you get to go full speed because there's not really any any punching you know if you're doing especially from a competition standpoint if, it, if there's self-defense you have to worry about that and we train for that too but when you're just rolling with someone in the gym uh, you're not punching each other you're not worrying about strikes to the face so you're just going full speed on you know joint manipulations chokes and when you need to you tap out if it's you know getting to a point where they feel like they're going to hurt you you tap out and you tap often and you tap early and that's how you avoid getting hurt but, um, you know, with that in mind, you can go full speed and you can really test yourself. And man, I just loved being on the mats doing this martial art. So I had fun with jujitsu, a lot of fun. And in 2011, 10, 11, 12, I was training it there. I, I wouldn't say that I was very consistent with it. You know, at Francis Fong's Academy, again, it was just too far, you know. And also at that time, like just being honest, I didn't have that much money. You know, it was, I like was struggling, you know, I was working uh, at the restaurant for a bit. And then I was like tutoring on the side and I was like, just trying to get my shit together. And between the time it took to get out to this academy and the amount of money it costs just to, just to maintain a monthly membership. I mean, you know, at the time, 150 bucks per month was a lot. I mean, it's still a lot for many people. Um, and it's just, it just was hard for me to, to really do it the way I wanted to. I think that I have a tendency to, I'll, I will look up the best school in an area and if it's close to me, I will try absolutely to get to the absolute best school based on, you know, my research and Yelp reviews and, and like researching the instructors. And that's a, certainly a great way to train. 
but I can't sacrifice, uh, you know, ease of training for, you know, my perception of what that school is going to be. Because oftentimes the school is what you make it. As long as you have a good community with, with kind, generous, knowledgeable instructors, you know, with teammates who are there to help you win, they don't need to be the school that's won the most competitions. They don't need to be the school that has the, the instructor with the deepest lineage. It's more just about you when you show up. So obviously you want to try out different schools, but that was another example for me where I think I could have found somewhere that was much closer to, to, you know, where I was and gotten a better experience. So fast forward again, you know, now let's see 2011, 12, you know, 2013, uh, we left for California. Sarah and I packed up our stuff and we left for California. And the first place we landed was in Torrance. Now, what's interesting is that Torrance is actually the home of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. The Gracie family are, you know, they are the originators of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And they are the inventors of really this new adapted form of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu was brought over from Japan to Brazil in the 1920s, 1925, I believe. And it was adapted by Elio and Carlos Gracie. And um, and basically, over the years, uh, it's become the most popular form of martial arts in the world. And it also is responsible for the foundation of the UFC. Uh, in fact, Orion Gracie, was the who is Helio's son, was the founder of the UFC and sold it uh, in the in the early nineties. Um, and so, you know, this this family is a is a family full of warriors, and they're responsible for most likely, you know, the biggest the biggest martial arts family in the world, and certainly the most popular martial art in the world today. They're based out of Torrance. The original Gracie Jiu Jitsu is based in Torrance. And I just didn't know that when I when I moved there. If I had known that, my story would be different. But I didn't know that. And in fact, you know, speaking on my own, uh, you know, experience around this, actually, uh, the apartment that we lived in in Torrance was literally within walking distance of a UFC gym. Which you know, it's not Torrance Gracie Jiu Jitsu, but it's a great gym. I mean, that gym was fantastic. And they would have. Um, UFC fighters from all over the world come in there and train. It was a huge gym and they had huge mats. And um, I mean, it was just a fantastic place to, I mean, they had tons of different, you know, weights and turf and, uh, you know, and machines. And uh, it was a great place to learn fighting. So I started training again. And, you know, I always like to mix it up. So I was training some Muay Thai uh, and I was training boxing and some jujitsu. You know, at this time, I knew that I loved jujitsu. I knew that I loved fight training, but I still hadn't really, really picked jujitsu as my number one, as my, as my number one girl, you know? And so I was, I was just mixing it up in multi-training and, um, I had a great time training there and it wasn't until we moved to, to Venice beach in 2014 that it really started to stick for me. Um, you know, we got comfortable moving to Venice and in early 2015, it was March, 2015. I said, okay, this is it. Like, I'm ready to devote myself to jiu-jitsu. You know, I'm ready to take this, this martial art on. And it just so happened that there was an academy within walking distance of my uh, my house. And it's called uh, Verdum, Verdum Training Center, Verdum Martial Arts, Verdum Jiu-Jitsu, whatever it is. And it was basically founded by Fabrizio Verdum, who is a former UFC heavyweight champion. And his family uh, runs that gym. And it's at that gym that I really started my journey in earnest in 2015, March of 2015. And I met my professor, uh, Gustavo Gasparin, who has been on some of my 
programs and videos and uh, really the first guy to like, you know, really, really start to give me the knowledge. Now, what's so interesting is that years later, I found out that Hernando, who was my original exposure to jiu-jitsu in 2009, was actually Gustavo's original instructor. And I believe that he instructed Gustavo up to purple belt or maybe up through blue belt, which is the second belt. And so it's just so interesting how that works out. I mean, you know, fate is so weird. It's interesting, um, you know, how these things work out. But I started training with Gustavo in earnest in 2015. And um, then 2015 through 2019, I was training in LA with them, you know, and, uh, and then 2020, we moved to uh, to uh, Portland, where I'm at now, and I'm training over here at Impact Jiu-Jitsu um, in in Beaverton. So that's been my my journey in terms of chronology. But you know, I can tell you that you know over the past few years, especially since especially since 2015, because you know 2000 start you know starting my training as a kid, and then my exposure to it in 2009 and 2009 to 2015. I wasn't really thinking of myself as a martial artist. I was thinking of myself as someone who had trained martial arts, but I didn't think of myself as a martial artist. But really, I would say beginning in 2015, especially, you know, I would say after I got the the blue belt, which was, you know, really beginning in 2019, end of of 2018, beginning in 2019, uh, that's when I really started to consider myself a martial artist. And especially more recently, really, really living into the identity of a martial artist and i you know so i didn't really see the start to see the changes until i took on the mentality of the martial artist but i can tell you that just just off the bat you know i saw so many interesting changes happen in my life as a result of committing to this path you know the first is the physical changes when i came to jujitsu in 2015 and really started to train more seriously uh, i was probably weighing about 195 and at that point i'd come from a background of strength training. You know, I, I, for a time, was a competitive bodybuilder. And although I didn't compete, I was definitely a power lifter, uh, you know, lifting really heavy numbers, you know, at least for my my size and my my abilities. You know, I was squatting 455. I was deadlifting right at 500. I was bench pressing at some point, you know, over 300. For me, those are very heavy numbers. And, you know, I felt strong, but I also felt rigid. And I felt achy and a lot of times I felt bloated and I felt slow and I felt locked up so I I was very strong in a certain range of motion and not really outside of that and jiu-jitsu started to well I mean in a very aggressive way soften up my body and I was forced to become more flexible I was forced to become more limber and just as a way of you know just just as as a result of working myself out through the process of jiu-jitsu I actually healed a lot of the injuries that I had originally. Now, I know that sounds weird because honestly, jujitsu can cause its own injuries. And I was forced to learn to move my body differently. So at this time, I also uh, linked up with a great chiropractor named named Roy Nassim, who is uh, based out of Santa Monica. And I mean, honestly, you know, he worked on me for, you know, a good five years to really loosen my body up. But that was all in response and as a result of my training in jujitsu. And so those two combined really helped to loosen my body up and get me moving, you know, like I could barely even separate my legs, you know, trying to have sex was horrible. Like I could barely even separate my legs because I was so tight from squatting so heavy. I couldn't even barely, you know, sit down in in an open position. I could barely cross my legs uh, in some ways or or scratch my back or things like that. I did lose some muscle mass for sure. Um, I, I, right now I'm weighing anywhere between 175 and 
182, something like that, depending on, you know, how much I'm eating or what I'm doing. So I lost a good 15, maybe as much as 20 pounds over the past five years. And some of it's been muscle, some of it's been fat, but I can tell you one thing, my strength to weight ratio has gone up tremendously. I mean, I can't lift the same raw numbers anymore, but I'm pretty close. And what I lost in raw strength, I made up for in um, isometric pressure, endurance, in flexibility, in agility, in speed, in um, in in power. Essentially, power for you know power per square inch, basically. Um, and I can say unequivocally that you know myself today would absolutely destroy myself 20 pounds heavier and stronger. Um, you know, I would, I would terrorize myself. The weight is a non-issue. It's a non-factor. Um, and the muscle mass is a non-factor. And sometimes I think, oh, I wish I had my, you know, I, man, I was bench pressing like 225 for like 20, 25 reps, like very solid. Uh, and I can't, I couldn't do that at all now. I can get it up for maybe five or six reps. It's heavy though. And I can always get some strength training back in there and going even heavier and harder, but um, it's not really about that anymore. I don't have that the football player uh, mentality with my strength anymore because I'm training for a different purpose. And so I've great I've seen some great physical changes that uh, man, I just make me so happy because uh, I feel so much healthier. I mean, my back uh, when I was really training heavy weights. Uh, was just, I was always in fear that I was going to get fucked up because at one point in, in college, I'd had a herniated disc from deadlifting. And I was always in fear that I would be doing some sort of maximum lift that would hurt it. And I was always kind of like just sore and achy and tight. Now, you know, if I'm training smart, I always feel good. And that's a result of me learning to train through jujitsu. There's also tons of psychological changes that I've experienced just as uh, becoming a true martial artist and experiencing the, the benefits of jujitsu. And, you know, I'll talk about those um, in a minute because I have 10 different lessons I want to lay out for you. But the, the, the physical changes the, or the psychological changes have been tremendous. I've become, you know, in a word, you know, confident, much more confident. When I was bodybuilding, my confidence came from my looks. As a martial artist, my confidence comes from what I know I can do. And there's a much different uh, feeling to that. The, being confident because of your looks is a much more hollow feeling because you know that if it comes down to it, you don't know what your body is really capable of. With with jujitsu and having trained in uncomfortable situations and being really familiar with what it feels like to be exhausted and in a, in a bad spot, um, you start to learn a lot about yourself. And with that comes spiritual changes. You know, I can honestly say that uh, jujitsu is, is a spiritual practice for me. You know, I, I people would say it's blasphemous if I say it's my religion, but there's a certain way of living that correlates to being a martial artist and especially with jujitsu that I would say is absolutely spiritual. And it's given me something higher to reach for because I know that it's tapping into a uh, an element of myself that goes beyond the physical and it goes beyond just the accomplishment of a belt or a rank or a tournament or any of that stuff. It's it's a truly spiritual experience. So I've seen these big changes. So I wanted to get through and get to you on these 10 different lessons uh, that I've gleaned from jujitsu over the years. And the first one, number one, is just being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You know, in jujitsu, uh, you're going to be put in situations where it just feels really bad, where you're going to be uh, low on oxygen, you're getting choked, where your joints are going to be uncomfortable, where you're going to be uh, surprised, where you're going to be put under pressure. And you have to learn how to be 
uncomfortable because sometimes you just have to let the discomfort pass before you can make a move. A lot of times in discomfort, the human response is to thrash, to buck, to whine, to cry, or to respond with fear. When you are constantly used to being uncomfortable, you can live in that pit of discomfort for as long as you need to and not feel like you're overexerting your energy or burning yourself out, not freak out. I mean, even just feeling like your your oxygen is restricted is a very scary situation for someone who's not used to feeling that. When you're getting choked, it's very, very scary if you're not used to that. If you train under those conditions a fair amount, you don't feel as scared because you've been there before, because you know kind of what your solution's gonna be, you know where your safety is, and you can find those little pockets of air where you can realize, oh, you know what, I actually do have room to breathe. I'm just freaking myself out. And if you can calm yourself down, you actually realize that you can breathe. And this is so important for life because we have to learn how to be uncomfortable or how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Life itself is generally uncomfortable. There are lots of things that are uncomfortable about life. And if we don't know how to function comfortably in uncomfortable situations, we're constantly gonna be in a state of stress, anxiety, panic, or survival mode. And for me, learning jujitsu and really diving into this philosophy as a martial artist has taught me how to stay calm in in a storm you know how to be how to remain in the eye of the storm while everything is swirling around me and how to make my move and i've found that that so often the things that would have bothered me in my personal and professional life um you know i still get bothered obviously like i'm not a freaking monk over here but i can be a lot i have my, my tolerance has gone up much more my blood pressure has gone down much more and so that is something i take with me in life at all times in fact i'm okay with being uncomfortable that I think is something that is so valuable. The second really mindset lesson that I've taken from jujitsu and applied to my everyday life is just the idea of discipline and focus and what I'm going to call insistence. You know, there's no way to progress in anything that's important or challenging without a lot of discipline. And there have been periods in my journey where I haven't been disciplined. Um, you know, and look, everyone has, everyone goes through their own life experience, their own their own journey with ups and downs. I mean, for me, you know, it took me until 2015 to really lock into jiu-jitsu. And then there was even a year there in 2017 where I was just, man, I was just so depressed, you know. After my grandmother died, I just didn't feel like doing anything. I was doing the bare minimum to live and survive. And I didn't really feel like training. And I only trained a little bit. And I think that's one of those years where, uh, you know, I kind of lost some progress. I did show up at the gym, but my heart wasn't in it. And I wasn't showing up as often as I would need to, to really make a difference in my training. And I felt like I kind of slipped there. My discipline wasn't there. My focus wasn't there. But overall, my focus has been very good on the training. My discipline has been good. I've kept showing up, especially when it's been hard. It's been hard for me too, moving from LA to Portland and, you know, having to find new training partners again, having to find new coaches, having to just get into a new community, it can feel a little bit, um, you know, just a little bit exhausting sometimes to, to change and to, to be forced into new, you know, new circumstances. I guess that's being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? But the discipline has always been there. Um, the focus and the perseverance has always been there. And uh, so that's discipline to the actual craft. But even in the fights, you know, the idea of having discipline and having perseverance or insisting on getting your result from a specific from a specific encounter with someone. You know, sometimes I'll be rolling and Gustavo would say to me, he would say, insist, insist. 
And what does that mean? It means if you're if you're working uh, to complete a move on someone, let's say you're putting their head in a triangle, you know, you're you're working on deploying an arm bar, they're not always going to give it to you on the first try or the second try or the third try. But your insistence means this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to attempt this move until it works or until you do something that allows that, that doesn't allow me to, to try it anymore. Um, and that's what insistence is. A lot of times we will give up on things that don't work the first time just because we get discouraged. But insistence, you know, in other words, perseverance is trying something over and over and over and over again until we get the result that we're looking for or until we're forcefully redirected. And that is something that's so important both on the meta sense in uh, in training the martial art, which is just showing up at the gym, showing up, showing up, showing up getting your face beat in sometimes. And then also on the micro level of in, in an individual uh, fight where you're insisting on you know a move, where you're, where you're persevering in a difficult situation, where you're really just staying focused the entire time and seeing that result through until the, you get the result that you want or until you're redirected forcefully. That's so important in life, man. You have to insist on what you want or you're not going to get it. And I've seen that over and over again. Insistence is key. So that's important, you know. And the third thing I think about is kind of the opposite of insistence. And it's the idea of detachment and acceptance. And these are also things that, um, you know, the Gracies go over in their 32 Principles of Jiu-Jitsu. It's actually a very uh, good course, a very good series if you check that out. But detachment and acceptance are so important because sometimes you insist and, and you resist and you persevere and you still don't get what you want. Oftentimes, it comes down to kind of like, Looking at what's happening and seeing that it's not going to go your way and accepting that and moving on. Sometimes you'll try a move on somebody. You'll try to, you know, you'll try to, you know, mount on somebody and they and they sweep you. Or you'll try to choke somebody and they escape. Or you'll try, you know, you'll try some sort of move and they have a counter. And, you know, you're trying to go a certain direction. You're trying to force something to go your way and it's not going your way. And after a while... You have to learn when to let go. You know, as Kenny Rogers would say, no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away. And I don't know if that, that last line is actually part of the song, but that's part of it. No one to walk away. This is so important in life as well. You know, we often run into situations where we just can't win. And, you know, there is a difference between between uh, quitting and between moving on. Moving on is, okay, I see that what I was doing wasn't working in this particular context. I'm going to move on to the next strategy. I'm going to move on to the next horizon, the next option, the next opportunity. Quitting is saying, you know, I suck. This didn't work. I give up. Just just kill me, you know? And that certainly does happen in jiu-jitsu a lot. You get discouraged and you just say, oh, you know what? Just You get discouraged and the other person kind of just takes control of the situation. But Detachment in this concept, in, in this context, is more like saying, I'm not attached to the specific outcome. I'm going to try a certain move, and if it doesn't work, I'm okay with it not working, and I'm okay with moving on to the next thing. Acceptance is, you know what? Yeah, you know what? You countered me. What I tried didn't work, but I'm not going to keep that in my mind and let it ruin my possibilities for seeing new opportunities. And that's so true in life as well. We can't let the things that don't go right in our lives prevent us from seeing new opportunities, new potential for us to do things uh, even better next time. And so that's so important. And with this is the fourth lesson I've learned to really apply that jujitsu mindset to life. And it's like, you know, planning a few steps ahead and playing ahead. You know, jujitsu is often like a chess game. 
And it's not, it's not just about a single move. It's about a string of moves or counter moves. You know that if your opponent is, does one thing, you're going to do another. And that move that you do is going to force them to do something else because it's all grappling. And there's infinite combinations that the body can connect one body to another, one body to itself. And um, by planning a few steps ahead, you can start to create possibilities by showing one thing and doing another. You know, you can begin to create opportunities and openings by thinking not what I'm doing now, but what I'm going to be doing in two or three moves, you know? So you say, all right, well, I'm going to work uh, towards this arm bar, but if that doesn't work, I'm going to move to the back. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to, you know, move, move to mount or something like that. And you're creating these different possibilities by understanding what the options are, what, what types of cards you have and what you can play and thinking a few moves ahead. And as you become more of a dynamic martial artist, and I've seen this as my journey has progressed, as, as you become a bit more dynamic, you start to chain moves together where you can see two or three moves, you know, at a time. You can plan things, uh, you know, ahead. You can have some sort of sense of what your opponent's going to do. And then you can start to play a little bit of a higher game. And, you know, you see when you roll with really, really good black belts, which I'm not a black belt yet. In fact, I'm waiting to be a purple belt. You know, that's that's my next step. When you see really good black belts, it's almost like you can't do anything to them because they see so many moves ahead that everything you try, they've already blocked. And it's because they have so many reps, so much experience, so much exposure to different combinations that their brain has just filed it all away. And so... That's really what you want to see. You want to see yourself getting to the place where you can play a few steps ahead. And you can do that in business too. I mean, you know, from a from a marketing perspective, from an operations perspective, if you can start to see the field a few levels up, you can say, all right, well, if I play this campaign, this is likely to happen. And if that happens, then I'll do this. And so you're not just, you know, you're not just reacting to one event at a time. You're thinking about how the entire concert of events plays out and how you can respond to that. So that's really number four, playing a few steps ahead. Now, number five is really it's similar to acceptance and detachment. It's more like reacting to what is, not what you want it to be. As a martial artist, especially in jiu-jitsu, you'll develop your, your few specific moves that you love to do. Your, the things that you're good at, the things that your body is specifically suited for, the things you have great timing with. I know I have these. You know, one of my favorite moves is called like a scarf hold from Kesekatami, which if I... I don't know why I'm bothering saying Japanese here. What's the point? You guys don't know what I'm talking about unless you study this stuff. It's a certain type of, uh, of control that you use on somebody when you're on top of them and on the side of them. And it's a certain type of uh, control where you have control over their head and their neck. There's just, for me, it's one of my favorite controls. It gives you different options to choke, to do arm bars, to, you know, um, to just basically pin them in a very uncomfortable position. I also have a really good Kimura from from like a thing called Half Guard, which is a different position as well. And so I have these these few different moves I really like doing. And oftentimes I will try to push the fight in that direction. So I'll try to create a response from someone. So if I want them, for instance, to give me one of their arms, uh, I will create a, you know, a misdirection on one side to make them post their arm. And then I'll go for that arm on the opposite side. Or I will... You know, um, I will move from one position to the next, trying to get to my favorite couple spots. And oftentimes that you don't get what you want because if you get a move, so does your opponent and they don't always give you what you want. And in fact, the better and more skilled they are, the less they actually give you what you want. And so what you have to learn to do is to react to what is, not what you want it to be. Oftentimes when we are so stuck on having things one way, we are forcing ourselves to, to do something that is not what 
is happening. It doesn't align with what's presently going on. And we actually end up in a worse situation than what we could be in. So if I'm fighting for a Kimura from half guard and he's not giving me the Kimura or she's not giving me the Kimura, you know, then I end up getting, let's say, guillotined because I was so insistent on getting the Kimura. Well, I just did that to myself because I wasn't reacting to what I was being given. I was reacting to, or I wasn't reacting to what was being given. I was reacting to what I wanted. How, how often do we do this in life? You know, we're not paying attention to the opportunities in front of us. We're only thinking about what we don't have. We're only thinking about what, you know, we're focused on and not about what's actually happening. And that, you know, it's like, it's called missing the forest for the trees. We're missing the big picture because we're so focused on a small piece of the picture. You know, that that's such that's so applicable to life. So to have a broader perspective on what's possible, what's laid out in front of you, and reacting to what you're being given. Oftentimes, you know, your opponent will make a mistake. And um, you know, someone said, I forget who who quoted this, I think it was uh, Lao Tzu, um, or not Lao Tzu, freaking uh uh Sun Tzu, <laughs> the other Tzu. Uh Sun Tzu said, never interrupt your opponent while they're making a mistake. And oftentimes your opponent will make a mistake. And you can capitalize on that. But if you're so focused on getting what you want out of a situation, then you're not able to get what you what's right in front of you because you miss it because you're not focused on what is actually happening. You're only focused on what you want to accomplish. So make sure you're taking that into account. Number six, really in applying my jujitsu mindset to life is the idea of generosity and giving back. You know, when you become a martial artist and this becomes your way of thinking, then you realize that it's not just about winning all the time. You know, winning is great. It feels really good. Um, I have not won a ton of tournaments. You know, I've won some, had some success. And, you know, I win sometimes in the gym. I lose a lot too. And um, But what I've learned is that it's really about ge- being generous with your teammates especially so that everyone can get better. Um, and that's a form of giving back. You know, for instance, when you train in the gym, there are going to be people who are bigger than you and people who are smaller than you. Sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. When you're training with someone who is a lot smaller than you or a lot younger than you, or if you're a guy and you're training with a woman who is obviously physically weaker, what benefit do you get as a 220-pound male by smashing you know, a 110-pound woman? You don't get any benefit from that. You don't learn anything, uh, and she doesn't learn anything. If she's not a black belt who's going for, you know, competition, then you don't need to be giving her that energy. The generous approach is by, it it is to roll with someone, you know, at their skill level and still give them uh, a challenge, but to allow people who are maybe not at your skill level to work technique so that they can learn what it's like to work against real resistance, but not worry about getting smashed, getting crushed, getting hurt, because it's not about that. That's generosity giving back. And the same thing with people who are, you know, they're new. Um, If you're a higher belt and you've been training for a while, when a new person comes in and they're fresh, what benefit does it give you to completely destroy them on their first day or their first week or even their first month? You know, does you really no good because of course you should be able to beat them. If you've been training for six years and it's their first week here, you know, if you can't, you know, granted they're not a, you know, a D1 wrestler who's coming in on their first day, but if they just are training, you've been training for years, you don't learn anything by destroying them. You know, what you benefit from is by letting someone who has less experience than you work, put you into as bad of a position as they can, and then working out of it and helping to coach them, helping to teach them, being generous with what you know. 
That's what actually improves your, your abilities as a martial artist. It's just as useful to teach as it is to, uh, to be taught. And sometimes you learn a lot more from teaching. So generosity, giving back through the martial art, giving back through the process. And how often in our life do we focus so much on winning that we forget to give back to others around us? We focus so much on, you know, crushing the competition that we, we don't see that there are people who could genuinely use our support and we're not even focused on them. You know, there's a lot to be gained by generosity and giving back. You know, also people get to know a lot about your personality by the way that you train with them. You know, the way that you train, as I said earlier in this show, is a mirror for who you are. And if you're constantly terrorizing people, if you're constantly kind of being an asshole to people on the mats, and you're not really a a generous person, people will be able to know that without you even saying anything, because they can tell just by the way that you touch them if you're a good person for the most part. I mean, obviously, there's some judgment there, and they don't know you just by, by, uh, you know, a couple interactions. But after a while, you get to know kind of how someone's personality is, because you get to see how they treat you when they have you in a vulnerable situation. There are some people who will, you know, get on the mat and they will take every opportunity to hurt you, you know, and obviously you don't want to roll people like that and good gyms won't allow that, but they do exist and you'll get to know a lot about them. And there's a great opportunity to practice generosity by giving and getting uh, in the martial arts environment. And jujitsu is a great example of that. The next really key that I've learned in applying the jujitsu mindset to life is just the basic concept of reps and studying the game. You know, there isn't enough to be said about just putting in the reps, putting in the time. Um, there's nothing that's going to replace that. You can you can study, um, you know, film as well, which is really important. Uh, and that's, I think, a big part of it is studying the holes in your game, sometimes even recording yourself, looking at your matches even in practice and seeing where you could have improved. Uh, and reps are a big part of it. Reps meaning repetitions, you know, doing the drills to practice a certain motor pattern over and over and over again. A lot of this is really just wiring your brain to react unconsciously to stimulus. You want to be able to do it without thinking about it. Um, the great thing about jujitsu is that, you know, in any martial art, really any training, they always say you sink to your level of training. So when you go into a situation where you need to use that, your brain's going to be on autopilot. You're just going to be, your body is going to be the intelligence, moving the limbs, doing the motions. So that is going to be only achieved through thousands and thousands of reps and thousands of hours of just doing the same repeated motions over and over again. And over time, you get sharper and better. And that happens in all areas of life, whether it's, you know, studying school or whether it's learning programming, whether it's working at your job, you know, these are all things where the reps are really what make you an expert and a master. Uh, and even the master who's put in, you know, 100,000 reps knows that they still have more to gain. So reps and studying the game and anything you pursue is so important. Uh, and the next piece of this really, number eight I have on here, is universal respect. Martial arts, if you're if done right, really does treat does teach universal respect. I mean, case in point, you have no idea who is training out there. I was watching uh, the UFC fights last night and uh, Rose, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rose Namajunas. She is a small straw weight. She weighs about 115 pounds. She's about 5'5". And if I saw her on the street, you know, I would think that that she couldn't fight at all. And she could probably take my life. You know, she's an absolute monster. And I see this a lot, especially in the gym. You know, you see guys who you look at them and you say, you don't have much muscle. You don't look very overly impressive. You don't have a mean face. You don't look like you could do much. And these people are absolute animals. And same with the women. You know, you, 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 there are girls who have just absolutely manhandled me, no pun intended. 
you, that's why it just makes you have a universal respect for people. I think that when you actually practice martial arts for a while and you realize that how someone looks has basically no correlation with how well they can fight, you start to really be more humble because you realize, man, at any time I could get my shit rocked and there's nothing I could do about it. You know, some of these black belts who don't look like much, I mean, there's some black belts that I know that just look like absolute dorks. You know, they don't look like they have any type of athletic ability. They could take my life and there's nothing I could do about it. They have so much practice, like I was saying in this previous point, reps and studying the game, so much practice that they have a mastery of these motor patterns and a, a very freaky amount of strength in these situations. And you're just not going to be able to fight a, a skilled black belt. I mean, in the belts go in jujitsu go white, blue, purple, brown, black. And then there's, you know, there's degrees of black and there are some things past black, but those are the basic belts. And honestly, you know, it a, a, a blue belt, which I'm like three years into my blue belt. I'm, I'm about three years in. Uh, a blue belt who has a good amount of training can basically handle extremely well anyone on the street who has no training. A purple belt can handle pretty much anyone who comes their way. They're an advanced martial artist. And everything after that is just additional layers on the purple belt until you get to your own your own zen. You know, in, in black belt, they say it starts all over again. Uh, you just never know who's walking around with what skill. So that's why you have universal respect for people because you just never know. And, it, you know, once you roll with some people who don't look like much but are absolute terrors, you say, oh, wow, this changes my outlook on life. Uh, and you're a lot more respectful of people because you don't know who has what skill. You know, it's like we don't, everyone has a concealed weapon and it's your body and you don't know what it can do. Uh, and some people are very, very capable and you have no idea. So universal respect is taught through jujitsu. You know, and at the same time, number nine, uh, this is something that Hiran Gracie says a lot. It's like keeping it playful. You know, not taking things too seriously. When you're training especially, you know, if you take it too seriously, um, a lot of times it gives you the kind of the, the urge to tense up, to get too focused on it and not not remember that this is fun. Jiu-Jitsu has a lot of playfulness built into it. It's almost like a dance in some ways. Uh, there's there's a, there's a, an innate choreography to it that is uh, that's interesting. And, um, and, you know, really it, it, it's a mental game that's extremely exhilarating when you just plug into it. And so keeping it playful, you know, and not having everything have to be a life or a death struggle, especially when you're actually, you know, when you're training with your gym partners, um, you know, you're not in a competition. It's like, man, you know, tap early, tap often. Don't worry about having to show off for people. Don't worry about having to win every fight. Keep it playful. Keep it light. You know, don't. Why so serious, Joker would say. Um, and there's an element to that that keeps it fun. And the more fun it is, the more you're going to come back. Um, and I find that about life too. With the things that you're doing, you know, if you take things too seriously, they stop being fun. And obviously you want to have, you want to be disciplined in your approach to, to you know, things that are important to you. But if you take it too seriously where you get start to get negative or weird about it, uh, it just it just is a turnoff. And you want to have things that are so fun that you keep coming back to them because that consistency is what's going to create mastery. So keeping it playful is important. And the last piece of advice that I would say for applying the jiu-jitsu mindset to life is really that lifelong student mentality. And all the great masters I've worked with have always said this. You know, they're always students. They're always learning. They're always growing. They're always progressing. You know, and so, look, I've been training for, I would say, consistently five years now. Uh, you know, I'm a blue belt, uh, you know, so I don't have any sense of 
being uh, some sort of like guru in the space. I'm absolutely not. But I can tell you that with having learned what I learned up to this point, you know, and, and speaking with people who are further down the journey than me, I know that this is a lifelong journey. And it's a lifelong uh, journey as a student. You know, even the masters admit that there's things they don't, there are things they don't know. And that's the whole fun of it. And as soon as you get so rigid in your knowledge that you think there's nothing else to gain, that's when you really start to lose. That's when you start to decay. The student is always looking for new ways to improve themselves. The master, the one who believes they are a master, is the one who stops learning and then they start to, you know, they start to die. Um, you know, because if you're not growing, you're dying. And the only way you're growing is if you're learning. So think of it like that. Lifelong student mentality is so important in jujitsu, in life, in business, and it all applies. And so I hope that these these ideas shed some light for you. And they're they're hard earned and hard won from my heart to yours and my mind to yours. So number one is be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Number two, you know, discipline, focus, and insistence, which is the same thing as perseverance. Number three is the idea of detachment and acceptance. Number four is the idea of playing a few steps ahead. Number five is reacting to what is, not what you want it to be. Number six is the idea of generosity and giving back. Number seven is the idea of just putting in the reps and putting in studying the time and studying the game. You know, uh, uh, number eight is universal respect. Number nine is keeping it playful. Number 10 is a lifelong student mentality. These are the concepts I've taken with me uh, from jujitsu and just martial arts in general throughout my life. And I hope and I expect to find many more principles that are useful to me in my journey. And when I do, uh, I will share those. So guys, if you like today's show, please do me the honor of uh, liking this podcast on whatever platform you're on, subscribing on whatever platform you're on, and leaving a review and a comment. It's really going to help us to spread the message personal sovereignty, of personal development around all the things that we talk about on this show. Honored to record this show for you. It's so much fun. I feel so refreshed from being able to record uh, these episodes after a few years off, and I look forward to sharing this with you. If you like this, drop me an email, and of course, uh, check out alphamentorship.com where you can download my guide for free. It's called Surfing the New Wave, which will give you all the info you need to enter into the crypto and blockchain space. And on alphamentorship.com, you can check out my program program NWP, which is the New Wave Protocol, where I work with a small group of people personally on developing these skills in their life with financial independence, uh, personal independence with self-defense, and of course, spiritual and psychological uh, independence as well. So make sure you check that out at alphamentorship.com. I love you guys. I will talk to you in the next episode. Have a fantastic week. Peace. Peace.